Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. Happy New Year. It's a great way to start the new year together. Do we get to be together? We get to worship together. We get to sing about Jesus together. So aren't you thankful for that? And so we should start the new year with some gratitude. <laughs> Happy 2022. We made it. We're here. Uh, we hope that you are uh, expectant and excited for what this next year can be. I, I am. I'm excited for what it's going to be for our church I believe in what God's going to do for our communities, whether you're out of campus and what God's going to do for your campus and around your campus and the community that you live in, or to also in home all over the country where God's put you and what he's going to do in the community around you. You know, uh, we have expectation for what this next year is going to be, but first we have to kind of get the the year started because uh, it is an interesting time of year where you have the, the hopefulness of the holidays is kind of coming to an end, which is a bummer for a lot of us. But then you have the new possibilities and the new opportunity and probably some hope that's coming with a new year. It kind of feels like the odd collision of the end of something and the beginning of something. I'm not sure exactly how you feel about a new year, but no matter where you are on the spectrum of excitement and hope versus worry and concern, we have a truth today that I hope sits in this teaching and maybe for uh, some time ahead. And it's simply this, that because of Jesus, we can always have hope. Because of Jesus, we can always have hope. So let's, let's unpack hope today and what it is. The first thing we should know, though, is hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just a, a desire that one day things are going to be okay. It's not just wanting some, some, uh, some things to change and believing that one day it might happen. No, no, hope is more meaningful than that. Hope requires something more than that. There, hope, real hope requires a source, something bigger, something strong, something trustworthy in your life to help us move from just wishful thinking to actually having hope. So let's, let's define hope. Hope is this, the confident expectation that everything is going to be good. The confident expectation, like you believe it, there's assurance, there's expectation that things are going to be good. And and notice I didn't say it the way maybe we would have thought that the confident expectation that everything is going to be okay. I think kind of the definition that we would give for okay may be a hurdle to many of us actually having real hope because there are going to be days where certainly everything is not okay. But the good news of Jesus That in view of eternity, one day, everything is going to be good. And because of Jesus, we can always have hope. He is the source of hope. It's Jesus in our lives that moves us from just wishful thinking to the confident expectation that everything is going to be good. And and here's the thing, people are longing for hope, right? Like you see it everywhere you go. Everyone everywhere is longing for hope. One of my favorite things to, to see is when secular minds, like people outside of the Christian faith, almost accidentally borrow from the hopeful story of the gospel in creating things even like, like movies. 
I mean, think about it. How many movies, so many popular movies kind of borrow from the good news story arc of the gospel. And this is kind of a, a, a really simple framework of what I mean. But the, the gospel is something like this, that there's this truth of how things are supposed to be. Something has broken that down. So things are not as they're supposed to be, but there's hope that things can be restored. So one day those things will be restored. Right? That's kind of the story arc of the gospel. And there's a ton of movies that borrow from that, and people don't even realize they're borrowing from the hope of the gospel. Like, let's just check out a few, just a couple examples. The first one, Star Wars, A New Hope. Now, some of you guys are like diehard Star Wars fans, and I like Star Wars, so if I say something that's kind of like not Star Wars compatible, just forgive me and move on. But Star Wars, A New Hope, I chose this title for a reason, is what? There, there's this, things are not as they should be, so there's this remnant of people who think things can be restored, and so they fight to bring order and hope back to the galaxy. Or, or another blockbuster, Armageddon. I, I, uh, by the way, I'm going to give a spoiler. If you haven't seen this movie in the 20 plus years it's been out, that's on you. It's not on me. So Armageddon, what's wrong? The world's going to be destroyed. Uh, there's a group of people that have a plan for hope. And so they, they go and they, they save the world. Get this Armageddon. Literally the story is a man trades place with another man and gives up his life to save the world. What does that sound like? Hope. Right? Or, or any of the Avengers movies. They're all like, I know there's a few that have now some like interesting plots, but they're all essentially this. Things are not the way they should be. We're going to avenge what's wrong and we're going to restore things. And there is hope. Now, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I felt like I need to mention um, that the same plot line and not just the same plot line like of hope, but the exact same plot line exists in every single Hallmark movie. I don't know. Uh, any Hallmark movie fans, ladies, some men, raise your hands too. Um, if you haven't seen any Hallmark movies, I'm going to read you something right now. Um, so if you haven't seen any Hallmark movies, after I read this, now you've seen all of them, okay? The plot of every Hallmark movie is about a career woman who is too busy for love, but she has to move to a small town where a handsome local bachelor teaches her about the true spirit of the holiday. It starts snowing and they kiss. There is also a dog. That's it. <clears throat> so if you haven't seen any Hallmark movies, n n now you have. Um, but you get the idea. There's this longing for hope. There is something wired inside of us that recognizes that things are not as they should be. So there's this undeniable hope. For things to be restored. We know things are broken. Even people who don't follow Jesus. Have the, the desire for hope. That only Jesus can bring. Lodged deep in their hearts. People are longing for hope. And scripture teaches us so much about hope. In fact, today, what I'd love to do is, is allow for scripture and experience to teach us that there are three conditions for a hope, that if, that if these conditions for hope are not met, then hope will eventually not last. But if these three conditions are met, then real hope can begin to grow inside of us. And I'd argue that for these three conditions of hope, Jesus is the only one who meets all three. No other person, place, no circumstance, no goal can be a, a, a place where we actually have real hope. So let's look at these conditions for hope together and how Jesus meets them all. 
Freedom from the past, of confidence in the present, and inspiration for the future. And Jesus meets all three of these conditions. And as we let him work in our lives, we begin to have that confident expectation that everything is going to be good. So we're going to look at hope out of 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your worship center Bible, if you're out of campus, it's going to be on page 1220 of your worship center Bible. If you're watching online or at a 12 Sun home gathering, we hope that you have your Bible as well. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be all over that first chapter today. Uh, and maybe you can pull out your, your, uh, your Bible app and, and follow along with us there. Uh, here's what's happening in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, uh, is writing to Jewish Christians all over the world. So Jewish Christians have been pushed out of their hometowns because of their newfound faith in Jesus. They've been exiled. They've been scattered around the known world. So you can imagine these Christians, these Jewish Christians are, are, are defeated. They feel a little heartbroken. They're homesick. They've, been, they've lost what they know. And Peter wants to write a letter of inspiration and encouragement to these Christians all over the world. And he starts in 1 Peter chapter 1 by talking about hope. So 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. The first condition for hope is hope frees us from the past. It frees us from the past. If I were to begin to ask us, what are some of the greatest enemies of hope in our lives today? Besides the fact that some of you are just pessimistic and cynical. Like there are the amount of Georgia fans I know that did not expect to win this past week and certainly don't expect to win in a couple of weeks. Like have hope. There's a lot of us that are pessimistic and cynical, but when we go a little bit deeper. What are one of the greatest enemies of hope in our lives? I think it's where we've missed the mark in our past. That becomes an enemy of hope in our lives. Past sin, past Failures, past mistakes, past letdowns, past setbacks, unrealized dreams. Our past begins to trap us in a place of hopelessness. You felt it. You feel like you can't get over something that's back there. But the promise of the gospel, we embrace the truth of the gospel, is our past no longer has the same chokehold on us that it used to. The passage that we read, I'm going to put it back up on the screen in a different version, says that his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Like his mercy, think about this, his mercy has freed us from our past. Mercy, let me define it for us, is not getting what we deserve. So mercy, we deserve the punishment and the consequences for our sin, but mercy, we don't get the punishment and those consequences. You could also define mercy as undeserved kindness. You see, we owe the cost of our sin. And that is a very hopeless thought. Because of our sin, we owe the cost of death, and that is painfully dark. But right? That's where the gospel always turns. There's a but, but the heart of the gospel is that Jesus has carried our sin and the punishment and the consequences of our sin in himself on the cross. So now we are fully freed from having to carry our sin ourselves. You have been forgiven fully and freely where our sin is great. His mercy is greater. 
Uh, and, and it's amazing. Absolutely, we should celebrate where our sin is great. His mercy is greater. But it's amazing to see how that plays out in somebody's life. John Newton, the author of probably the most popular sung hymn in history, Amazing Grace. John Newton said this on his deathbed. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. That I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. It's beautiful. But here's what you may not know about John Newton. John Newton, before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, was the captain of a slave trading ship in the late 1700s. He participated in some of the greatest evil in human history. But one day on the ship, a terrible storm came and he cried out to God in those moments and kind of went back to some childhood education. And he believed in a moment that God was real, that Jesus Christ was the only way to salvation. And he is radically saved on that ship. His life is completely transformed. He becomes disgusted by his part in the slave trade and begins to work the rest of his life to destroy slavery and to save as many people out of it as possible. Imagine though, the weight and the guilt of his past. It makes complete sense. While John Newton would write the words, amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. Makes sense, right? But when he was radically saved by the mercy and grace of Jesus, he had two options. Either allow his past to cripple him and to live in regret for the rest of his life, or in a hope, move towards other people to live in this great mercy and to give the same hope that Jesus had given him to other people. Praise God that he chose to let Jesus set him free from his past, because where our sin is great, his mercy is greater. So where your past begins to haunt you, regret begins to build inside of you, you lose hope, and past failure begins to steal hope from your life, go here in your mind and your heart. Look to Jesus and his great mercy for you and be reminded that you have freedom from your past because the work of Jesus is greater than your sin. Don't, don't, and don't miss this. The scripture said it that his great mercy that caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's his mercy that did it. He did it. Not you and me. We never earned mercy. It's a gift because of God's love for us. Guys, this is really, really good news. Because if you didn't earn the gift in the first place, your past doesn't earn the losing of the gift today. When we begin to think that our past and our sin disqualifies us from the love and the mercy and the grace and the hope of Jesus, we have to be able to get to this, this verse that says his great mercy and look to Christ. Because your behavior and your track record of your life was never the source of your salvation to begin with. Jesus is the source of your salvation, and he will not take his love away. This is how you are freed from your past, and hope begins to take root in your life. And also, Jesus gives us what we need for today. He gives us confidence in the present. Uh, moving on to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 7, it says this who, he's talking to us Christians, who we are protected. Another version says shielded. So we are shielded. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Let me pause there. Some of you feel like life is being taken from you. 
You're in the middle of a trial and a struggle and there's pain. So what I'm about to say and what scripture is about to say, I pray that this, this connects with what you're going through and how you feel. Because if you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor out of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what holds you back in the present? What's holding you back today? Is it worry? Fear? Maybe you're just concerned about life. Maybe you're overwhelmed by life struggles. You're weary. You're tired by the trials of life. There's pain with something happening to you right now. Can I tell you that even in the middle of that type of, of struggle and that trial, confidence can begin to grow inside of you. In your present moments, confidence can begin to grow today when you realize that your struggles are not the absence of God's presence, but could in fact be used by God for our good and his glory. That we're protected by his power, we're shielded by his power, and that he is always with us. If you're in Christ, he is always with us, working something out in us, no matter the circumstances of life. The passage gives us such a beautiful illustration of how to better understand this. Uh, the apostle Peter uses the, uh, the image of gold and raw gold being refined. Now, I don't know anything really about gold. In fact, my ring is, is silicone. It's not even gold. So I don't know much about gold. So I had to Google this to find out the, the process of gold. But when gold is initially mined, it's very unrefined. It's full of impurities. And so gold has to go through this refining process, and the refining process is hot. To refine gold, heat must be applied to force the impurities to the surface. And as heat is applied to the gold, impurities go to the surface and those impurities are removed. And as the impurities are removed, more heat is applied and this process continues over and over again. Heat is applied and reapplied until the gold is pure. And the refiner will know the gold is pure when he can see his reflection in the gold. More something like this. I cannot begin to speak to all that God is doing in your life right now. Many of us ask the question of God, why would you allow that kind of suffering? Lord, why, if you're in control and you love me, why is that fill in the blank happening? And I don't understand all that God's doing. You don't understand all that God's doing. His comprehension is above ours. His ways, his thoughts are above ours. But at a minimum, he's doing this. At a minimum, he is refining, purifying, and strengthening you. If you allow him and you trust him, even in the trial, he is removing things that aren't beautiful from your life or honoring to him or others. He's using the heat of trials to make you more like him so that when people see you over time, as you allow for trials and struggles to actually be used by God to purify something inside of you, people would see the reflection of your creator in your life. He hasn't abandoned you. He's just doing something in you through these things. Peter uses the word precious. That God is working something precious and valuable and good. Trials become necessary to bring us to this place where we really want to be as followers of Jesus. And when you begin to understand that God is not crushing you or just letting you suffer, but is working something special and holy out in your life, you begin to face the present. You begin to face today with great confidence because you know that he hasn't abandoned you. 
This helps us move forward in life with our head held high with security of what today could hold. We have confidence and hope because we believe that God is with us even in the midst of the suffering and the pain. And that brings confidence into our present. Now, it it is important for us to to slow down and, and I feel led to say that this does not dismiss your pain. God is not telling you Scripture's not telling us that your trials and your painful circumstances shouldn't be alarming. They shouldn't be understood as a struggle. But God does, not, God does not dismiss your pain nor ask you to fake it till you make it. The invitation of the gospel is not to act like you're not in pain. The invitation of Jesus is to carry hope under your pain and in your pain, knowing that God is always orchestrating something beautiful for his glory and our good. So pain doesn't disappear, but you begin to have confidence in the middle of it. So don't shrink back from today. Take it in the name of Jesus because Jesus meets the condition of giving us confidence in the present. And then finally, at the core of the definition of hope is a view to the future because Jesus gives us inspiration for the future. Back to the the top of the chapter in 1 Peter. I'm going to bounce around a little bit to see all that this chapter of Scripture tells us about what's coming for us in the future, starting in verse 4. And into an inheritance, so we've been called, been born again to a living hope, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Down to verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You have hope. You believe in him. It's coming. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Pause there. What I mean, if you were to put the gospel in a sentence that just brings so much hope that you are receiving as the end result, the end result, like we know what the ending is. If you were to receive as the end result of your faith, what salvation for your soul down in verse 21, though you believe in him through him, through Jesus, you believe in him who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. See, because of Jesus, this world is not your home and your future is secured with him forever in paradise. We can always be encouraged and inspired towards the future because we know that heaven is coming. Peter uses the word inheritance. Now, I, don't, I don't know about you. Some of you guys might actually have a nice inheritance here on earth. Maybe you've already received your inheritance. I'll need you to raise hands so we can all get jealous. Um, my dad is quick to remind me that my inheritance is spiritual and not financial. Um, and I'm typically like, thanks. I, I think, I think thanks. But in Christ, our riches in him are so much more than gold or silver or materials or wealth of any kind. Jesus even calls wealth uh, earlier in one of the gospels. He says that wealth on this earth is where thieves can steal and rust and moths destroy Our inheritance with Christ is so much more than that. Our inheritance will never perish or rust or grow old with age or fade. Our future is full of heavenly riches in Christ. So put your hope there. Peter says it like this in verse 13 of the same chapter. Such a good chapter of scripture. He says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't fix your hope there partially. Don't fix your hope there sometimes. Don't wait to fix your hope on Jesus when things are bad, but set your hope completely on him. Give him your full devotion and expectation for the future. 
We can always be inspired towards the future because this is our hope that Jesus He has given us what we need to live with expectation and anticipation for what's to come because we already know the final of the chapter is beautiful. There's so much that could, that that should be affecting us on how we actually live. When if you were to actually believe this kind of hope, Christians should be running around almost giddy, like genuine excitement, like minds blown. Hey guys, like, do you get it? All of this, this, the pain of this life, war, disease, inequality, brokenness, division, all of that is going to be left behind. And we're going to step into a reality with an inheritance that has been reserved for us with Jesus. We should be running around like, have you heard about this? What do you mean heard about it? No, like really, have you heard about heaven? Paul actually instructs us that like the hope that we have in Jesus should be noticeable. This is how he says it a couple chapters over in in, uh, first Peter chapter three, Peter says it, not Paul. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I'm going to pause like this is so key that in your heart, you would revere Christ as Lord, not wealth or comfort or popularity or a political party, or achieving some particular goal. But when Christ is Lord of your heart, it changes how you live. It gives you hope because always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We should be like the instruction is clear that we should be living in such a way that people notice the hope that we have. We live with such an expectation that one day all things will be good and restored that people notice it and they have to ask what is different inside of us. What a challenging thought. Do we have a noticeable hope? Like ask yourself that question. Do you have a noticeable hope? When people see you suffer, they see hope still underneath it. When the news is not good, there's still hope underneath it. When pain would say, shut it down, there's no hope. Because of Jesus, there's hope underneath it. Now, don't be weird and grab somebody at the grocery store and let me tell you about my hope. You can maybe build a, build a conversation, but there should be this, this, this pattern for how you live that shows people that hope real hope, actual hope is available in Jesus because ultimately this is what others need. Tulsa, if we began to live with a noticeable hope, the type of hope that meets the condition of freedom from the past and where I've messed up, you've messed up. I don't let fear of being found out. I don't let regret and guilt and shame hold me back anymore because of his great mercy. He has caused me to be born again to a living hope. And so you have freedom from the past that would be visible to other people. If we have confidence in the present and we take our days with strength and security marked not by fear and worry or concern, though sometimes certainly we will have that. We're not asking you to fake it. 
If pain is holding you down, be real, be honest, but under your pain and in the midst of whatever you're going through, you can grab your day with confidence because God is with you and he's still working. And then as a view to to how we live every aspect of our lives, we have this, this picture of our inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Things may fall away here, but I have an inheritance there that doesn't spoil. It doesn't rust. It doesn't grow old with age, but it's reserved for us in heaven. If you're in Christ, that is your future reality. Maybe you get 80 years in this life. Great. Maybe more. But that same hymn that we mentioned earlier, Amazing Grace, what's one of the lines? When we've been there 10,000 years, right, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's grace than when we just begun. 10,000 years in to heaven, time is not even a factor. That's the joy. That's where we put our hope. And we begin to live with a noticeable hope in how we go after our vision as a church. We have high expectation for what 2022 could bring to see souls, families, and communities transformed by Jesus, renewed focus on impacting the next generation. You're going to hear some things next week about family discipleship and some plans to increase spiritual conversations and activity inside of homes. We're going to plant new churches. We're going to plant new campuses. We're going to see 12 stone home grow all over the country. There's so much on the horizon for us. And now with the hope of Jesus, will you choose to take it with me? Will you choose to to rise up into this moment to have a hope and to say, there's a vision in front of us. Let's pursue it. Let's be excited about it. Because Jesus has met all the conditions for hope and he's mine and I'm his. You know, ultimately it is all about Jesus. We're a because of Jesus church. And so we thought that it would be meaningful today to kick off our New Year's service together as a church by taking communion. Communion was instituted for the church and the life of the apostles as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. That his body was broken for us, his blood poured out for us, his sacrifice in our place so that we can have life. And because of that sacrifice, we can have hope. So as we get ready to take communion, campus pastors are going to step up across our campuses. David is going to get ready to lead 12 Stone Home and 12 Stone Online. Would you choose to take hope today? And remember Jesus. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.